welcome to the Own Your Epic podcast. My name is Jay Dostal, author of the book Own Your Epic, Leadership Lessons in Owning Your Voice and Your Story. In this podcast, I highlight the stories and voices of educators across the country who are making a difference in schools and uncover what makes them exceptional leaders in their field. By sharing the voices and stories of others, we can all learn to appreciate that each of us is the author of our own epic and our experiences are relatable to others, if we are willing to share them. Let's get started on the Own Your Epic process. Welcome to the Own Your Epic podcast. This is Jay Dostal, and I am so excited to have a guest here today that I've worked closely with for the past four years. He is an unbelievable educator. He's got an amazing story to tell. And uh, without further ado, we're going to go ahead and jump in to uh, the interview. So why don't you uh, start off and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Well, Dr. Dostal, I think you may be uh, setting me up for shoes I can't feel, but uh, <laughs> my name is Warren Collier. I am from Little Rock, Arkansas. I currently serve as the associate principal at Fayetteville High School. Um, this is going on to be my ninth year in the Fayetteville School District. Started off as an Algebra two teacher, spent a year as an assistant principal at an elementary slash middle school, and I've been here with Dr. Dostal as his associate principal at Fayetteville High School for the past four years. What do you think of the high school so far? I love it. It's a, a great place to be. It's uh, You get a lot of everything here. It's a lot of moving parts. A lot of people say it's like a small community college, a lot of different things to manage, but you learn so much, and it's never a dull moment. That's awesome. So the whole purpose of this podcast, as we have talked about, Mr. Collier, is, uh, and I don't know why we're being so formal. Just call me Jay. <laughs> hey, you right. don't have to call me Dr. Dostal. Come okay. on, man. You know All I'm right. not big on titles. Okay, okay. Um, the whole point of this podcast is to really amplify the voice and tell the stories of educators. And so um, I think that you and I have had multiple conversations in the four years that we worked together. We just never really have sit down and record, sat down and recorded it. So why don't you tell us, why did you want to become an educator in the first place? Why did I want to become an educator? So it's really a funny story how I ended up picking education. Uh, showed up to University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff. I knew I wanted to do something with math. That was always my favorite subject. I always excelled in it. Uh, took an engineering class when I was in high school. It was okay. I didn't really like it had a cousin who was an accounting major and um, talked to her about it. And then I showed up to talk to my counselor at UAPB and she showed me a list of majors that involved math. And I said, let's go with math education. And I just stuck with it. And I, I thought in my head when I made that decision, I always enjoyed helping students uh, with math when I was in high school, helping my peers with, with the math work. So I just picked education and I stuck with it. And it ended up being one of the best decisions I've ever made. Um, yeah. So that's that's really foreign to me because you know my background is in English, and math was while I get it and I can use it and I understand the relevancy of it, uh, it is not necessarily like my strong suit. What what really drew you to math? It just always came easy to me from 
my early days in elementary school through high school, it was just always one of my favorite subjects I always look forward to. I remember having multiplication competitions in, in third grade and just the whole everything about math I always liked. I can trace it back to a story where I remember being at home one time and working on some math homework and I think I was doing a simple addition problem but I tried to pick up the calculator and use it. My dad made me put it down. So some of the things I was forced to learn in different ways because he wouldn't let me use a calculator at home and I just enjoyed it. So that's that's it's it's weird that you bring that, uh, that story up because I still remember uh, my sister uh, my oldest sister who went to Iowa State to become a chemical engineer so she was in these really advanced math classes and this was before those scientific calculators came out that did all the graphing and so she had to learn how to do all of these math by working out the problems and fast forward a few years later when I'm taking my high school math courses and I can't do anything without that graphing calculator right. she's there looking over my shoulder you should know how to do this you right. should know how to do right. this so I mean that that's just uh, it's it's interesting that uh, minds work a little bit differently right. like that but math has always just come naturally to you yes sir yes sir it's just always been fun I can remember when I would get in trouble when I was younger if I didn't have anything to do, I would just go and get my dad's big uh, bucket of change and count it out and put it in the sorters. <laughs> that's that's how I spent my time when I couldn't do anything else. So, yeah. so let me let me ask you a little bit about growing up in uh, Little Rock and then also uh, ultimately going to UAPB um, and HBCU. Mm-hmm. Was that always your plan, or what? Uh, what? How did how did that how did that work out for you? Well, I, I think it's kind of like my story when I picked math education. It just kind of happened. Um, originally, I wanted to go to Euler, um, and it came down to funding, scholarships, right? So, had I scored one point higher on my ACT, I would have went to UALR. But um, and, but my current situation at the time, our school had a career uh, college fair. UAPB was there. I told him all my credentials, and he said, you can get a full-ride scholarship right now with your credentials. And at that time, Euler was only offering me like 5000 a year. I said, full-ride? Sign me up. Just so happened my dad graduated from there, but I never really thought, oh, I want to go to my dad's alma mater. But once they told me it was going to be free, sign me up. So you and I have had these conversations mm-hmm. before. What is the for for people who are listening to this? What do you think the biggest misconception is about HBCUs? That's a that's a good question. Um, I would say I haven't really encounter anyone who I would say has a misconception about an HBCU. Um, I know some people who don't want to attend maybe think, oh, if I graduate from an HBCU, then that degree won't be as significant as if it was from a higher university. But, you know, I feel like you go, it's what you make it. You know, you can learn uh, all the things that you need to learn wherever you are, and it's how you apply it and the work ethic that you put in on the back end. Uh, someone told me that, you know, your degree only gives you 20% of what you need to be successful in your career. You get the other 80% by experience and hard work and determination after you graduate. Awesome. That's good advice. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're going to transition here to just a, a little bit of storytelling for you. Okay. Uh, two very important steps in the Own Your Epic process are to curate and cultivate 
your story so you can amplify your voice and your story. Okay. If you had to choose the most important story that has impacted your life so far, what would it be? The most important story that has impacted my life so far. Has really far. carried you on and has kind of defined you as a person, has set a foundation for how, uh, for the person that you are today. Right, right. Um, I would have to say it would be um, pledging the fraternity when I was in college. Um, I had, because I picked math education, I had no intentions on entering administration. I intended to get my doctorate in math education, but somewhere between calculus three and differential equations, I realized that math was no longer for me <laughs> at, at, that, um, at that stage, so I knew I didn't want to do that, but when I pledged the fraternity, um, my line brothers uh, appointed me to be the president and went on to become the president of the chapter. Well, explain and explain line brothers to me because I don't line necessarily Line brothers, know okay, so this, this everyone I pledged in spring 2011, I pledged Alpha Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, and there were 24 other young men who pledged with me during that exact same time. So if you pledged the same chapter at the same time, you're line brothers. So gotcha. we all began and end together. Okay. So, yeah, so they, they made me president. They they saw something in me that I didn't really see in myself. I was doing things, making sure everyone was okay, but that was just me. I thought that's just what everyone did. Uh, so they made that decision and then um, ended up being chapter president. And there's different things we have to do throughout the year to be um, – good standards with Alpha Phi Alpha and so we did that and there's a state competition that we go to and we won chapter of the year based on the things that I kind of helped organize and facilitate knowing I couldn't have done it without my line brothers but that whole process let me know that you know being a leader is about one making connections with the people who are in it with you and just learning how the organization works so within education I figured I could probably be a good principal. So I took that as soon as I graduated, uh, went straight to work on my ed leadership. And I think that kind of defined me, just going through that process and learning that kind of helped mold me to become um, an administrator, like to have the drive to become an administrator, which is now driving my whole career. So between your experiences at Owl Creek Middle School and Elementary and your experiences here at the high school level, uh, you know, over the course of that five-year time period, what would you say has probably helped you the most, or what have you learned in that process? Because there's obviously a, a gap between the theory of what you learn in school versus mm -hmm. the practicality of the actual workplace. So what, what's the biggest lesson that you've learned? Um, I think I go back to that 2080, knowing that you got 20% of it in school and 80% of it is experience. So me, I like to, I'm a sponge. I like to absorb anything that I can from everyone. So my year at Owl Creek, I got to learn all the aspects of being an administrator, uh, all the different roles that are normally split if you're at a bigger school with more administrators to go around. But I had to do basically everything for the middle school setting. So discipline, 504, special education, test coordinating, uh, instructional leadership, all that. And so in that role, I learned just how it all works. And then moving to the high school, I got to be in a more specialized role, but it was more massive, like 10 times as many students and uh, staff members. So I believe just the experiences and learning to listen. But the, I think the biggest lesson that I've learned that's helped amplify my impact has just been to 
one understand that you can't do it by yourself so you have to kind of you have to grow and develop leaders and find those uh people within the building that have the potential and the want to and what their skill set is and tap into it and, and and once you get all that work and you're more facilitating you still have to be knowledgeable but you're facilitating more because you have people helping you and having them in the place where they can naturally do the things that they're good at kind of like going back to leading a fraternity i had to have to recognize, okay, who are the people who were good at organization? Who are the people who were good at documentation? Who are the people who were good? Part of it was, you know, being able to step. Okay, who are the people who were good at that? So having to recognize their talents now, you know, that's manifesting itself in, in my administrative career. So I want to switch gears on you here because uh, one of the things that I am most impressed about you is the work that you're doing with our african-american male initiative here you and i've had multiple conversations about this and uh you know i know it's a passion of yours to to mentor Mm -hmm. young african-american males and help them be successful what what do you what what's the greatest sense of satisfaction that you're getting out of of growing that group of young men um, it was that's part of the reason I got into education as well. Uh, growing up in Little Rock, Arkansas, school I graduated from, I saw a lot of African American males like myself who um, didn't make it, didn't make good decisions. I would say, or the school system, they they didn't have anything to tie them to the school. I was fortunate enough to be an athlete, so that that tied me to the school. But those who didn't have that connection. Uh, they were more likely to go down the wrong path. And I've seen um, old peers of mine who ended up in jail, no longer with us, or didn't get to a point to where um, they sought out that further education, so they may be struggling now. So that was part of my drive. So I feel like if I can, I want I, my goal is to help all students. I'm not biased towards any, any group of students, but the African-American Male Initiative, uh, which was started through the Equal Opportunity Schools to focus on, they realized through their work that the majority of the schools that they work with, African-American males were not uh, enrolled in AP courses and you know that combined with the fact that it's no secret that African American males um, I would say have more barriers in life in general to get through so me being able to put them in a position to have a safe space to try to try to give them the tools and the confidence and the just information that they need to navigate life and and put them in a position to where they're thinking about themselves as being, I can be successful, I can do this no matter what, is that gives me the greatest satisfaction. So you've been working with that program now for two years now. What, What's your greatest sense of satisfaction in the work that you've done so far? What, what do you feel like is the biggest accomplishment? I think the biggest accom- accomplishment was uh, us organizing and taking those group of students to the Northwest Arkansas Technical Institute where we allowed them to see uh, just different avenues and opportunities that they have available for them. So they were able to see a CDL program. They were able to see uh, welding. They were able to see auto mechanics, diesel mechanics, and construction. They have a construction course um, that'll be available soon to have 
electrician training, just a lot of different those skills trade that opened up a lot of the students' eyes, especially when they got to hearing how much those uh, positions make per hour. And we've had quite a few students come since that field trip and say, hey, what do I need to do to get enrolled in that? So just, just showing them um, – I'm a big fan of college, but there are other routes and other things that you can do to be successful in life. So if we can just tap into that, just being able to do that and, and getting them excited about something, that was that was big. Cool. I remember uh, when that day you guys went and I came back, uh, came over in the lecture hall and you're having your pizza party and just seeing the kids' face light up like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that that was out there. And just being able to open up doors and provide that access to them to information that they may not have known about is so powerful. I want to circle back to, uh, you talked about growing up in Little Rock. And I'd really love for you to share the story that, it was like one of the first stories that you told me about growing up and you're riding your bike and your dad gave you boundaries <laughs> uh, around your house. Can you can you tell us that story? Well, um, I would say the neighborhood that I grew up in wasn't the most friendly. So leaving out of my yard was just not acceptable to my dad because there was a lot of trouble that I could get into. Um, if I left my yard, there's a lot of people in there who, in the neighborhood who didn't make good decisions. I would say one night, I remember, I don't know what was going on, but our house ended up getting shot. The front window ended up getting shot. So that was definitely part of his reason. Then my dad is a correctional officer, so he was real strict by the book. So, yeah, my, my maze of riding my bike was front yard, through the back gate, all the way around the backyard. And... And out that gate, and at one point, um, my mom's sister actually stayed next door to us, so I was able to go into their yard and go in the, and go in their backyard, then come back around. So I had it when that happened. You know, I, I thought, oh, that was like being out out in the streets to me. So it opened up a whole new world a whole for new it. world. Yeah. So well, the reason I ask you that question is because you know I think it ties into what we're dealing with in education right now that. You know, especially at the high school level, we're always focused on content, content, content that we sometimes forget that, you know, these kids are going home to personal lives that we may not be able to relate to. And Mm -hmm. so what do you feel as, you know, an associate principal who has aspirations of becoming a principal? What what do you feel is your vision, your focus so that when you are that principal? Where are you going to be steering your leaders toward, or your your staff towards? That is a great question. Um, you know, I would say the demographics of the world is changing. Um, we are the minority population is growing, and with that, in a majority uh, dominant um, profession meaning in education you mainly have uh, white educators and most of them are white women and that's that's not what you're seeing in the class and so part of the research that I'm working on now is one how to improve I chose to go improve education for students of poverty which I found is mainly uh, mostly represents minority students but culturally relevant teaching practices and trauma-informed practices most of our students who 
are struggling, they don't look like their teachers or they've been through some type of trauma. I know uh, Arkansas has one of the highest ACEs scores in the in the United States. And so just equipping te- teachers want to do well. You have to assume that they want to do well. So just equipping teachers with the tools and resources that they need to, one, understand their students, understand how their students best learn, and then being able to check their maybe their own unintended biases and knowing that if a student is doing something, you know, still thinking that they're well-intentioned is just maybe something that they've been through that's preventing them from being that ideal student that, you know, all teachers like to work with. Um, so I think just focusing on those two things and ensuring the staff is prepared to deal with any student who walks through the door because parents send us their best students. And, um, you know, we're not like uh, other other companies like Walmart that get bad products. They can send it back to the manufacturer. We can't send any student back. We have to be able to educate any student that comes. Yeah, I love I love that you said that because that was uh, that was one of those things that in my first few years of teaching, uh, someone had told me that, uh, listen, parents are sending the best they've got. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until somebody actually said that to me and I processed it. I processed it like, oh, yeah, they're not deliberately trying to send you a defective child. They're sending the best that they've got, and we've got to do everything that we can to help them grow in the process. Well, I've got a – the world of education is very different right now uh, with COVID and the pandemic and that sort of thing. Uh, A lot of our teachers are getting burned out they're leaving the profession. Uh, there might not be a pipeline coming in to, to fill these spots. So the question I want to ask you is, what advice do you have for not only those teachers who are doing the work right now, who are invested and have been working but are maybe considering leaving the profession, or and, or, and what advice do you have for those who maybe never thought about going into teaching, but how, how could you persuade them to maybe consider that as, as an option? What, what's, what advice would you give them? So for the teachers who you know, may be considering leaving, I would say um, I, I truly believe that education is one of the best jobs slash careers that you can have. We get to work with students. We get to prepare students for their future in the next phase of their lives. And I think like with any job, I know people who are working in many different careers who are still stressed, you know. So I would say self-care, what you do outside of work is the most important thing to your sanity at work I don't care what you do so and and remembering why you chose it if you love what you do you know you'll never work a day in your life that's a a common quote that you hear so no matter what it is um, you just got to find a way to love it find find a drive what gets you up every day what's your what motivates you every day and find something that makes you smile at work and then like I said Find something at home, self-care that makes you happy. Um, and, and those who are not in education who may be considering it, just knowing that it's one of the most satisfying careers that you will ever have. I mean, just having to have a student who likes to come in and um, 
have a little dartboard, a little plastic dartboard, and we, we, we engage in that, and that's the way that we connect. And then I get to talk about different topics with him to help him, uh, you know, just to make good decisions. But, you know, just, just little interactions like that and dealing with students. And, and you know, I'm not sitting behind a computer all day. I get, get to talk to people and engage with people. And it's real-world problems that I'm trying to solve because I'm working with real people, real students with real issues to, that needs to be solved, and it's no better satisfaction than, than being able to do that. So true. So true. Yeah. You talked about self-care. How, how are you taking care of yourself, and how are you keeping yourself sane and trying to be a leader of a high school with 219 certified staff members and other 100 classified staff members? How do you break away from just being in constant administrator uh, mode and really break off and take care of yourself? Well, I have a sweet baby girl at the house and a beautiful wife. So, you know, when I walk through the door, it's time to be a father and a husband. So that's the number one thing, and, and that brings me a lot of satisfaction. And I was told by an administrator in my first year, you know, when you leave work, Take an invisible hanger, all your problems, all your unfinished tasks, hang them on your door. And when you leave, don't pick it back up till you get back to work tomorrow. Now, sometimes I, I do break away from that and do things at home, but for the most part, I try to hold on to that. And, um, you know, just I, I won't be able to fully do my job while I'm here if I'm taking it home with me and stressing and then coming back. So so that's that. And just find different things that I like to do. I, lo I love I love Netflix. I know I love a good educational book every now and then and uh, working out and, you know, spending time with family. And I try to be intentional about doing those things. I can't believe you didn't mention barbecuing. <laughs> Yeah, you I, I share barbecue recipes <laughs> yeah. all the time. Yeah, in I fact, cook, you're the I one who gave me a turkey bride. <laughs> yeah, I cook from time to time. Well, and I think that's such an important question to ask anybody of how are you taking care of yourself? Because, um, you know, we just went through some capturing kids' hearts training, and I felt like uh, one, of, one of the pieces that I took away from that is being able to affirm people. And uh, I want to provide an affirmation for you because one of the things that I admire most about you is you are very, very even keel. I never see you too high, never see you too low. You're just very even keel. And uh, that I think that's a good compliment to my leadership style because uh, I get worked up pretty quickly and I can come, you know, I, I, I've gotten better over time. I've grown, but I think that's where, where you and I uh, complement one another. So uh, it's good to hear that you're able to share the different things that, that you practice for, for self-care. Uh, you got me onto this drinking a gallon of water <laughs> a day now. I've got my jug over here. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but okay, so since we talked about barbecue, just because yeah. I, I need to we're, we're transition, we're coming to the end of the podcast right. here. Okay. What's the next big barbecue project for you? The next big barbecue project for me. Oh, um, what is it? I mean, I've, 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 I want to brag on myself. I perfected a lot of a lot of my recipes now, my brisket, my pulled pork, my ribs, and all that. So I think the biggest project for me may be investing in a new grill. Okay. Uh, I've seen a lot of those electric smokers, but you, it's still um, 
charcoal. Right. You know, I'm a, I'm a big charcoal guy, so if I can find the perfect one to where I can just set it and forget it and won't have to control that control that temperature like you do with a regular side-by-side charcoal grill. So I think my project is finding the perfect grill that that will help me take my game to the next level. Good for you. Yeah. I didn't even tell you this, but uh, my latest project was, have you ever heard of a spatchcock chicken? I have not. So you take a whole chicken and you cut out the uh, the breast or the rib bone mm-hmm. and you flip it open. Oh, yeah. And then you season it on both sides, but then you uh, skewer it and then you put it on the smoker that way. My wife okay. sent it to me and I did it. Oh, my gosh, Warren. Okay. It was fantastic. Okay. It was amazing. So I'll have to share yeah, that. Yeah, I was about to say, you're withholding <laughs> recipes from me. That's not fair. No, no, no. I, I got that for you. Uh, so as we wind down this, uh, you know, we talked about uh, that story that was impactful for you. Uh, we talked about your advice to, to educators. What does the future hold for Warren Collier in <laughs> education? The future in education for me, well, in the near future, I'll be completing my doctoral program. So I'll be Dr. Collier, um, Laura Willen. D.C. D.C., yeah, I, I didn't think about that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, in addition to that, um, eventually one day I want to become a building-level principal, and I would like to keep that role for a while um, before pursuing a district position because I, I like being around the kids I know when you move to the district level it's a little more removed for kids and um, it's just different work so I, I would definitely do that for the majority of my career being a building level principal and uh, you know I don't know I might teach some courses or you know teach people how to barbecue whatever whatever it is but um I think it's limitless and just as long as I, you know, just continue working with this same passion, then the sky's the limit. Fantastic. Well, Warren, it is always a pleasure talking to you on a daily basis just because we work with one another. And uh, I'm glad that you agreed to be able to sit down and just share your genius with everybody else because I think that people listening to this will come to their senses and say, you know what, I need to reach out to that guy because he's got a lot of experiences <laughs> and you have made me a better leader just by one, knowing you. I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate your leadership style. And it's it's just been great to sit down for a half hour and, and talk with you. So thank you very much. Yes, sir. It was fun. All right. So that's the end of the podcast today. Again, uh, joined by my my colleague, Mr. Warren Collier, and soon to be Dr. Collier, because I know he's going to get it done. And uh, we will uh, catch you on the next episode of the Own Your Epic podcast. Thank you for joining me on today's podcast. To find out more about Own Your Epic, check out my website at ownyourepic.blogspot.com where you can purchase my book or subscribe to all the latest blog and podcast updates. Until next time, own your epic and share your voice and your story. It matters and can make a difference in the lives of others.